Welcome to your upfront moment. We're building a confidence revolution. Hi friends, I'm Lauren Curry, the founder of Upfront. We're an organisation on a mission to change confidence for 1 million women and non-binary people by 2023. And we do this in three ways. We transform your relationship and habits around confidence, power and visibility through our six-week online course. Each cohort is called a bond. Bond is the collective noun for a group of women and over a thousand women have graduated from a bond from over 20 different countries. We build community, real, genuine, human community, where women learn how to stand up for themselves and each other. We hold each other to account. We celebrate each other and learn together. Our community is Global Bond. We create content that will inspire, challenge and motivate you to be upfront. We are here to change confidence, not women. Upfront Moment is designed to kick your week off with confidence, self-compassion and agency. Hi friend, welcome to this week's Upfront Moment. This is the last in our three-part mini-series, Voices Exposing Misogyny in the System. This week my guest is Dania Alobed. Dania is a survivor and an activist campaigning against gender-based violence. Since being arrested at the Sarah Everard Vigil in March 2021, she has continued to speak out against police abuse and misogyny. I spoke to Dania about what it was like to find her voice after years of staying silent and why all victims deserve to find more peace. A gentle reminder that this episode does cover topics around domestic abuse, mental health and gender-based violence. So welcome to the Upfront Moment, Dania. I'm so happy to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Lauren. I really appreciate it. So my first question to you is, tell us about yourself. Like, Who are you and what do you care about? Yeah, so my name is Danielle Abade. My full-time job is in branding and I love it. That's, that's my <laughs> career. But what I, what's a big part of me, what's kind of consumes a lot of my thoughts, a lot of my motivation is strengthening my voice. There's a lot of imposter syndrome day to day, which impacts my quality of life. You know, how I trust people, interact with people, how I... um position myself in terms of asking for salaries uh, or standing up for myself or asking for justice for myself, really trying to, you know, position myself in life where, you know, I'm, I feel protected. I feel safe. I feel like I can follow my dreams and I've managed to, well, get in there, but, and it's getting stronger. Um, it's been particularly hard because of my experience with domestic abuse and just through this process it made me feel 
okay, I'm, I'm learning how to get a stronger voice. And I really want as many other people in the same place to also strengthen their voice. And, you know, part of it is because I want to feel connected, you know, with other people that have really gone through similar experiences. So I feel less alone. It's almost like a selfish reason, but a big part of it is just so kind of reaching this community so we can really just stand up, you know. So, yeah, that's that's a big, big part of my, yeah, my thoughts. Because your story is really is really shocking and extraordinary and I know there will be lots of listeners who will be outraged when we hear the details of what happened to you when you were arrested and convicted for attending the vigil for Sarah Everard's murder and then of course you launched civil proceedings against the Met to pursue a claim of breaching your rights under the Human Rights Act. So I would love to hear more about that journey, you know, where, talk us through that from kind of showing up to the protest, of course, angry and sad and determined to kind of where you are now. Yeah, it's it's been a surreal journey. Ironically, since my arrest and conviction my voice has gone it gotten stronger rather than feeling more like I need to step back and you know this all stemmed from years and years ago me almost losing my life to abuse and being quiet you know just trying to get through day to day trying to build a safe financial space for myself trying to you know the pressures of life you know look good and you know mm. be have a social you know all of those pressures on top of that hide this what felt like my own dirty secret mm. almost lost my life to abuse and actually it's it, the hypervigilance the nightmare the flashbacks they were impacting me so much but I was trying to contain it all as well as trying to move day to day and do everything I dreamt of um and I think at, around Sarah Everard's death I just I kept hearing stories of women going through the same things and it just worked something in me of like why do I need to hide this why do I need to feel ashamed about this because you know I was blamed for the attack so there was a lot of shame of like oh maybe I deserved it somehow and so when I you know around that time lots of women were going through all kinds of abuse and and still are it made me feel like actually it's not me like we are all there's a serious problem now um has been there's a serious problem going on and and where and and I, I need to stand with the women I need to be I need to honor Sarah's life and we need to somehow speak up it was kind of like a boiling point so uh I went I went to the vigil and yeah, it was a very somber mood and, you know, it, it all kind of happened really quickly. The police officers kind of made a like barrier in front of the bandstand, like, you know, they're standing on the flowers that were given to Sarah Everard at the vigil. And it, it just was like, is this really happening? Like, why does it feel like where doing something wrong like why does it feel like where you know 
get the police are against us or where against the police why is there this feeling and you know in my head I was just I saw them handling set you know the women on the bandstand it I, I didn't like it didn't feel right and I just kind of jumped over the bandstand and you know I didn't want to leave to be completely honest I just felt like you're not going to shoo us away I didn't want I just mm. the thought of going home and just being quiet about this and you know you know that we're not allowed to be angry or you know join together it just felt wrong like it felt like we're being silenced which mimicked my experience with abuse that thing of like just be quiet mm. stay in your place I just couldn't do it anymore but then you know we got we got arrested under covid regulation rules and you know first time you know having that experience and it all felt surreal um i was you know i was in tears and i just didn't understand it so you know we i, I go home after that it was just all kind of again surreal didn't know what was happening and the news all came out and all, all the interviews and, and I just couldn't do it anymore. I was just like, this is, this is very triggering of my own, for, for my own. I haven't really processed what has gone th- th- through me and I'm fighting comments like you're a hijacker, you're an attention seeker. I was like, I, I'm just gonna, mm. I'm just gonna back away. Um, but yeah, it was only until a year and a half later when a journalist reached out and said, you know, how do you feel about being prosecuted? And I was just like, well, what are you talking about? And they were like, you're being convicted for not paying a fine. And then there was a whole communication area around that. And, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to defend myself. The, the hearing went without me mm. uh, the single justice procedure. And, uh, yeah, it, thankfully, I mean, I'm in a position where because this is public, I had public support, you know, people mm-hmm. were saying, you know, how could Boris be partying and, and you going to a vigil that was your human right to go to mm-hmm. and you've got a greater fine and you've been convicted. So it's been a, like a really surreal journey, you know, going against such a big organisation and saying actually they're in the wrong. I think mm-hmm. that's been the most powerful thing. And that's why we've, you know, set up this um civil claim because we're saying actually it doesn't matter how small you know I am or we are in comparison to such a big organization right is right and wrong is wrong and that's that's our power is to say you've kind of you acted unlawfully you haven't taken accountability and we are demanding it demanding it so it's a yeah so for me at least and it feels like for others um it's a very powerful powerful move in it in itself absolutely incredibly powerful I wonder kind of where you were at that time when you made the decision to say I'm going to take them to court I'm going to challenge this I'm going to talk about it publicly can you tell us a bit about that yeah because I I actually had the opportunity after the the vigil to do it um and Every meeting about it, I would just break down. Pretty much every meeting, I was just like, I, I couldn't fathom how when I went through my abuse, which was pretty brutal, I didn't have the support around me then to really get justice. And now 
I minimise this. Oh, well, I've just been arrested in comparison to my abuse. I, I can't demand accountability. This isn't that bad. I was really... Mama, I was really minimizing myself. Mm. Um, I couldn't see the bigger picture. And it was just very, uh, yeah, bodily reactions. I mean, it just really took me back so many years. So I I, I normally push myself, but I, I, I kind of reached my limit there. And I was like, I need to focus on myself. And I said, you know, maybe there's a lot of other incredible women that are doing so much work in this space. Let me just kind of back away and there was a big part of it that was like Daniel know your place um this isn't your fight like you should just go back into that corner um but you know when when I had been convicted it's just weird timing after that you know I'd done a lot of therapy gotten away and I was strengthening my voice I was kind of knowing right from wrong actually this is what was wrong what happened to me I have a human right you know, knowing that they, you know, the high court ruling that they unlawfully banned the vigil and they still haven't taken accountability. I then felt really strong in saying, actually, let's do this. And a big part of that was anger, actually, just kind mm-hmm. of channeling my anger and, you know, allow myself to be angry. Yeah, there's a huge amount of power in anger, I think. And when you can put that anger to to work and of course you've launched your new campaign your new platform she protects herself on an incredible mission of helping victims of police misogyny to know they're not alone and to fundamentally expose the misogyny of the police force so tell us tell me about she protects herself and how can how can we help you uh, well after the vigil and everything happened i started to get some messages of saying almost people telling, trying to comfort me and say, you're not alone. This is what I've experienced. And my sister's experienced really terrible things with the police. Either they've been minimized after they've reported an incident or they've directly experienced some form of abuse or harassment off of a police officer. And, you know, the, the, the biggest thing in my head, I thought there's the one bad apple like it, it's just rare it's not that common mm. I've just started to get getting these stories and you know the facts of you know 99% of reported rapes go without conviction rape is pretty much the perfect crime it, it, it's kind of like okay this is a real issue I mean there's so many predominantly women that are experiencing experiencing this their reports are being minimized and their, their experience direct abuse from police officers. And uh, I was just like, we we really need to, in my head, it was like, I really want to reach as many victims as possible so they know they're not alone. Because one of the most powerful things building my own voice back was knowing that I wasn't alone, knowing that mm. this experience isn't because I... I wrong just for you know living it's actually the perpetrators it's actually the the, the people mm-hmm. who in the abuse it's their action and we are actually victims in this situation again victim is a very tricky word for people they don't want to be a victim it's very it's seen as in a very bad light you know um mm-hmm. actually we are victims of abuse so this is the reason why i've set up this page is primarily to 
help victims know that they're not alone. There's a big community of us. And also, like you say, to expose how bad it is. Um, since the last couple of weeks, we've received a lot of new stories. I've got to put them up. So there'll be um, all the stories will be up there. And really, uh, any help in amplifying this message so we can reach as many victims as possible to submit their stories is is the mission here and you know for us to continue to keep up the pressure um i know there's a lot of pressure on the police at the moment um there's a lot of focus on the met police what i'm showing and what's going to be shown in these stories actually it's not just the met police i mean it's police across the country so that that's the idea and i I imagine that must be hard to be surrounded in those stories and anecdotes and messages day after day after day. You know, you're kind of steeped in this world of male violence and misogyny and sexism. And I wonder, like, what's the hardest part of all of that for you? You've kind of touched on that it can feel quite triggering sometimes. And Yeah, I, I, I've had to think about this a lot recently um, because since launching the website I had this perception you know as soon as I get stories up I will I'll be reading them and straight away putting them up I don't want to disappoint any victim but actually it's been extremely heavy and I've been a lot slower than I mm. wanted to and I want to do my best to amplify this mm-hmm. but very recently um my lawyer actually was kind of said, you know, we need to pause in some of these campaigns. And it gave me just a room to breathe. It just gave me this thing of like, you can take your time, you know. Mm-hmm. And if I'm drained, if I'm constantly re-traumatizing myself through these stories, then I can't do the work. So I have to have to be honest, it's very, very hard stuff. And I, and I don't want to have a vision of the world and a vision of men constantly mm-hmm. that they're abusers I've got male friends really close male friends that I dearly trust my therapist is a, a man I chose that on purpose so I don't have this vision of yeah. women versus men um but obviously the, the reality is a lot of the abuse that women are experiencing and men experience is perpetrated by men so it's this it's a very tricky line and I'm still and I'm still trying to to learn how how to do this in the best way possible yeah and I don't think there's one nice easy answer Hi friend, I'm here to tell you about Bond7. It's an exhilarating six-week online experience where you learn to build your confidence and the confidence of the people around you. And it all happens live alongside hundreds of curious women from all over the world. I promise you three outcomes. You'll learn to love that thing you're scared of, you'll find your people and you'll 10x your confidence. Go to weareupfront.com for all the details. When we talked before, you you talked to me about this notion of kind of reclaiming your voice and owning your voice and finding your voice again, saving your life, which is an incredible thing to say. And I can only imagine how that must feel for you 
Like, what do you what do you mean when you say that? At the time of my abuse, I was blamed for it. I was kind of like, you, you know, told, you know, what he's like. You should have stayed out of his way. And I really tried my best. So when people tell you that and something life-threatening happens, you kind of, what I did was I, I listened to them. I was like, okay, this is the only way to survive is by minimizing myself so much to avoid abuse. And I think this is, there's a big reason why we blame victims is because we want to control the situation. You know, it's so much easier to say, oh, the reason why that victim was, you know, harassed or, you know, sexually abused is because of what she wore. And, you know, the stats were there. That's the only, the reason why that happens is actually only 4%. It's such a, it's just, not part of the reason why there's a abuse attacks of a woman course, yeah. it's just not the reason but for some reason we just keep doing it we keep blaming the victim and their actions or what they were wearing and so I I believed those words and I just reduced myself I just kept getting smaller and smaller and quieter and quieter hyper vigilant of anything that could go wrong around me um just take up as little space as possible and you know it's a very stressful state of mind to be in all the time. And I, you know, it got kind of really, really dark. So for me to kind of breathe a little bit more, to have a bit more space, I, I really needed to give myself a little bit of room of like living, you know, it, it was really, and it really stemmed from first knowing that none of this was my fault. That was the first thing that I was told that was just like mind blowing. I, I really couldn't believe it. I was like, what do you mean this wasn't my fault? Mm. Um, and I just break down because it completely broke down my belief system. But it gave me so much room. It really gave me so much room. And I started to uh, gain a bit of my sanity. I started to understand, okay, I'm responsible for my actions. That person is responsible for their actions. And I know what my actions are. I know who I am and what my voice is and start to strengthen in that. And it, it has saved my life because my life is a lot richer and I, I feel a lot more protected and I voice what I want and what I don't want. I'm able to stand up for myself, you know, so it's it has literally, yeah, it's just done that. And I'm so glad. I mean, I wonder what the... If there's anybody listening who is in that position that you just described, whether due to abuse or other neglect or trauma where they're making themselves smaller and smaller and blaming themselves, what would your advice to them be? One of the most powerful things for, for myself, really, I mean, transformed everything was just how I started changing that voice in my head. You know, my voice in my head before was attacking everything that I was doing. You know, I couldn't do anything right. You know, it was like, oh, Danny, you messed this up again. Or Danny, you've said the wrong thing. Oh, Danny, you aren't motivated enough. You won't get out of bed. You won't. I, it was a really cruel voice and, I, and it mimicked a lot of the abuse and neglect that I experienced. It was, so for me, it was really transform transformational of being kind a little bit on myself. It's kind of okay, Danny. You couldn't you couldn't eat properly today, or you couldn't brush your teeth, 
or even shower properly because you're going through a lot of emotional trauma. It was really giving myself that space or it was like, you know, Daniel, maybe you didn't say the right thing or there, but it wasn't on purpose. You can learn from it. Or, or Danny, you don't feel like, you know, standing up for yourself today because it's too painful. That's okay. Mm-hmm. So it was really changing that voice. And I keep learning um, to just, it's one of the hardest things, but really to, to be kinder on yourself for me was, was the biggest job. <laughs> of course. And I'm still learning that every day too, because nobody teaches you. And, you know, there's whole billion dollar industries that only exist because women aren't kind to themselves so it's a hard it's a hard thing to learn what's your relationship with confidence like now (laughs) I feel like I'm quite confident there's there's I have this vision of myself in my head and it's uh I uh get inspiration from a lot of powerful women and I just do, it's just simple things that I do like throughout my day, little rituals, like walking, like dressing the way I want to, expressing myself the way I want to, and just like walking with power. So this gives, these little things give me a lot of confidence, kind of having a vision of of, of who inspires me and putting myself up there as well before I would never have said this because I'd be like Daniel who do you think you are well I'm so glad you're saying it now no honestly more and more every day I'm like you you are you know you are powerful you are amazing you and a lot of that comes from I suppose I say this a lot that I can sleep at night knowing for me I feel like I'm doing the right thing I'm, I'm being honest every day I'm trying my best every day you know I'm uh, prioritizing my health, my mind, and my body, and so that gives me a lot of confidence as well. So yeah, it's um, you know before when I didn't have confidence though the the word would intimidate me a lot. You know I, I would feel confident people. I'd be like, what's I don't know how they do it. I, I just couldn't. Mm. So I, I I wasn't able to focus on on being confident or prioritize it. I would focus on really uh simplifying things around me creating clarity and that slowly uh you know took its way to to confidence but yeah the relationship with it is a tricky one it's a tricky one it started out with a lot of I can't be confident to you know as as you create clarity as you create kind of um understanding of yourself that, that it happens almost and it's, I think it's part of what makes your story so powerful. You know, there will be so many women listening who really relate to that place of even the word itself is not a word that we feel we can connect to, we can be part of. You know, that's why up front, you know, it's, it's what keeps me up at night because I know having the word confidence on our website, people will see that word and close it. And I'm like, no, 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 wait, wait, come back. Because we are trying to really deconstruct what that means and expose all the unhelpful narratives that we are taught to believe around, as you say, this idea that confident people are just naturally that way and you either have it or you don't have it. And that it's something that we all have to be working on all the time and 
Um, that's why we really intentionally talk about this idea of changing confidence, not women. And as you know, we're on a mission to support one million women and non-binary people with their confidence. And I'd love to hear you talk about like from your vantage point and where you sit in the world when we achieve that goal how will the world feel and be different for you what a question you know i've i've, I've traveled a lot backpacked a lot in search of this kind of like happiness or peace and really dependent depended on where I was in my mental state you know it could be the most beautiful sceneries in front of me but because mentally I was just shot down none of it meant anything I couldn't connect to anything so I really started to work kind of look inwards first because now I could be and objectively not such a nice place and be like okay but I still feel good so I, even going back to the word confidence, it's when kind of my mind quietens down and it just is so cliche, but I can be in the moment as much as possible without mm. my mind screaming. And my mind, I, I've had to train that because especially going through the mm -hmm. abuse, it kind of screams every moment of like, you've said the wrong thing, you've done the wrong thing, you're going to be attacked for this. It's really learning how to quieten those thoughts down and just being able to just be present with what I, whatever I'm doing. That for me, just, I start seeing the world for, for what it is. You know, mm -hmm. if the sun is shining, it's it's bright and it's nice outside or, you know, you know, I, I can start seeing, picking up, you know, people smiling more or you know you start to pick up different things so I mean that's my mission with myself and hopefully with, with other people I don't know if any of that even made sense but I really think for me, what what what's in my mind and what what I believe so yeah that, that's what that's what I'm saying yeah I think it's imagining we all had that peacefulness and the calmness to connect with the present and to trust ourselves more. And I'm, we can all think of a million brilliant things that would happen if if that was more common and easier. And you know, my, my therapist always tells me, uh, and I think this is a big one, you know, sometimes telling someone to be present is a really difficult thing because mm. being present sometimes is being present with a lot of horrible emotions, a lot of horrible mm memories and it's a lot sometimes you know so it's a it's a kind of a bit of a roller coaster you know it's mm -hmm. you have to go through those emotions to heal and and not feel them as intensely and so you can be in the moment as as you know more and more but to get there it's it's kind of a painful process so it's um but it gets better and it gets it gets easier but that's that's what I'm learning more and more every day for sure. Well, I'm so grateful to you for sharing your story with us in such an open and honest way. And thank you for the work you're doing around She Protects Herself. I know the folks listening will can find you on Instagram. All your links are on there. And yeah, just know that you have lots of fans and friends cheering you every step of the way. Hey, hey, hey.
A huge thank you for listening to our mini-series. I would love to know what you learned, what you took away from my conversation with Laura Bates, Dr Jessica Taylor and Dania Alobaid. These three women are exposing misogyny in our system in very different ways. And your upfront challenge this week is to think about your role in exposing misogyny in the system. We all have a part to play. Is that through conversations with your children? Is it through conversations with your male partner? Is it through an initiative you might start at work? Is it through choosing a particular book that you might want to read? But we all have a part to play. Thank you for being part of our very first Upfront Moment mini-series. See you next week. Hi friends, it's Lauren and I'm here to remind you that Bond 7 starts on June 5th. If you enjoy Upfront Moment, you are going to love our six-week online course. By now, you've probably heard of the Bond. Bond is the collective noun for a group of women. Each cohort that moves through our course is called a Bond. Bond number six welcomed 512 women from over 25 different countries. Bond 7 starts on June 5th and we cannot wait to welcome you. This course is all things confidence, power and visibility. We have discounts for charities, NHS workers and you can even pay in four instalments over four months. The Upfront Bond is the world's top choice for women and organisations that are genuinely interested in increasing their confidence and activating the confidence of the people around them. For bond number five, the average increase in confidence was 109%. Go to weareupfront.com for all the details. Thank you so much for listening, friend. Let me know how you get on with your upfront challenge. You can always write to me, lauren at weareupfront.com. Let me know what this moment made you think about. And don't forget to sign up to our amazing Upfront newsletter. Every Tuesday, I send links, inspiration and insight around confidence, power and visibility to over 5,000 inboxes. Guaranteed gumption and action. Bye friends, I'll see you on Monday for your next Upfront moment.